good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a Pin and a Napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to Roundtable Podcast number four. Uh, thanks to COVID-19 and all of those restrictions and quarantines and all that stuff, we haven't been able to do this since the state tournament, but we are back and better than ever uh, in a hotel room in, are we in Clive or Urbandale? That's a good question. That's I just call it Des Moines, to be honest with you. We're, we're going to call it Des Moines. Okay, all right. Uh, we are here with Connor O'Neill, the director of the girls' basketball program at OSA, Omaha Sports Academy, Mark Kruger, the head girls' basketball coach at Millard West High School, and Josh Shisky, the new man to the group, uh, the head girls' basketball coach at Papillion La Vista High School in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, but before we get going... Uh, we want to thank our sponsor, of course, Cossack Chiropractic. Uh, if you have, if you have any coaches, if you have any athletes with neck or balance or spinal issues, uh, give Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi a call 402-964-0300, or look up their practice at CossackChiro.com. K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O.com. Uh, obviously, if you're listening, you're on SoundCloud or iTunes, so like, rate, review, subscribe, do all that stuff. Push this uh, podcast out to coaches uh, who are looking to hone their craft one day at a time. Uh, follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. Uh, try to put out daily coaching stuff, and hopefully we got a bunch of pictures to put out here today uh, on some of the things that we're going to be talking about. And then, of course, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Gentlemen, it is wonderful to be in this room with you. Good morning. Room 257 of the Renovo Hotel. I wouldn't give your room a number out, to be honest with you. Well, by the time, we're we're taping this on a Friday morning, and we're not dropping it till Monday morning, so so then we're safe. So so, uh, I I am rooming with Mark Kruger, so if there's any, you know, bodies hidden underneath the hotel beds, I'm going to put that one on the Miller Public Schools. So... uh, Connor O'Neill's been on here before. Mark's been on here before. Josh, your first time. Yeah, thanks we, for having me. We well, we, we we had to use a little strong arm tactics here to get him in here, <laughs> but that's but that's okay. So, um, we have uh, on the pods. It's, it's been you know it's been a crazy time for everybody um, with with COVID and with social unrest, and and we've talked about some of this stuff on the pods and and things like that with various people, but. Uh, let's just get it back into just talking hoops again and let's just talk about let's just jump into a deep dive on some x's and o's and and kind of the plan is here i got a marker board so if we want to draw some stuff up and then i can take pictures of it and we can match it up when we when we send it out on monday so uh if you've got ideas or whatever uh let's draw them out and 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 we'll put it up there so folks can see it here uh we've kind of got five initial topics here that we want to talk about um but wherever we go, that's where we go. So uh, let's talk about, let's start out with defensive transition. Let's just jump right into defensive transition, kind of your philosophy. Uh, you know, it's kind of the the most over-talked about but under-taught aspect of the game. Uh, so I'm all ears because I'm just trying to figure out with, with my new team what we're going to do in defensive transition. That's one of the, I got a pretty good idea of what I want to do with most everything but i'm still trying to figure out how we're going to match it up with with our kids so yeah i I mean i i think from my perspective being now only a club coach as opposed to a high school coach whereas these guys have a you know high school team and a club team um and i think i mentioned this last time we talked like we're just so much smaller than out-of-state teams typically as omaha teams and nebraska teams so it's super important for us to to send a couple kids back defensively almost every single possession because otherwise I mean, if you're going to try to win the offensive rebound battle, it's just not typically going to happen a ton. doesn't mean you can't go get, you know, chase down long rebounds, but you're not going to out-jump kids and outsize kids typically in like a Kansas City or names or wherever, Dallas, Texas. So we just, I dumbed it down so much the first weekend just because we had so few practices that I just pointed to every kid in each lineup and said, you two are going back every time. You two are going back every time. We have a point guard named Claire who's four feet, you know, five, three. I said you're always. Did she curl her bangs to get to five three? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think she's gotten shorter every year, but anyway, she goes back. She goes back every time she's in a game. So that's kind of the first step is just making sure that you're organized from from an on court perspective of who needs the who needs the crash boards and who needs to just play it safe and make sure we're not giving up rebounds and or layups on the other end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've couple one of the things we we kind of changed or went to a couple of years ago was just kind of. uh, 
almost like labeling kids, you're either a crasher or a get back. Uh-huh. Um, and so sometimes you have to be careful. You don't have, you know, you don't want five get back kids or five crashers. But, um, you know, we typically, just what Connor was saying, you know, you're smaller kids or whatever. Like you just tell them, hey, you're going back. And then <clears throat> um, we tell other kids, hey, your job is, is to just go go crash the boards. You're, you're an offensive rebounder. Um, and that's eliminated a lot of confusion. Um, kids was like, well, why didn't you go? Why didn't you go rebound? Well, I thought I should be get back because I was here and I was kind of up top. And so in the past, we've done stuff like, hey, if you're, you know, if you're up up top, if you're the, the top person, get back. And then, well, it just created confusion. So we uh-huh. really tried to define roles for kids as to what your job was. So we can hold them accountable too. Like, hey, what are you? Are you a crasher? Well, why didn't you crash? Well, uh-huh. um, so that's something we've we've done in the past, and, and so you don't always have the same number of kids getting back. You know, typically you'd have, you know, in a in a perfect situation, and kind of like Connor was saying, you'd have two get back kids and three crashers. Um, but that's that's worked well for us, and it's kind of helped hold kids accountable too. Mm-hmm. Josh, yeah, we're uh, we kind of always preach getting ball hole and then uh, ball side elbow, and we want to try to force skips once they get into the half court and overload ball side when it first gets, once they declare a side, then hopefully they skip it, and that gives that other person, whoever our last person is running back, a sprint into that backside and should uh-huh. take that pass. Um, but something we're going to try, and I heard it from, I think it was Matt Painter on a different basketball podcast that I won't name on here. Um, but you were listening to another basketball <laughs> podcast other than a pen and a napkin? My wife changed the station accident. Oh, I didn't realize yes. halfway through. Okay. So. I forgive you. I forgive you. <laughs> Um, but they have someone, and whenever a shot goes up, they have a get back, and then they have a kid. I think they call them the nail, and they just go to the nail, and then that person, wherever the outlet pass goes, is going to take that first pass and try to work the ball up. And I, th- mm. we've got two kind of point guards that I think are going to play for play a lot for us at the same time. So we may try having one of them as a get back, and one of them that mm-hmm. try to work that ball up a little bit and just try to slow them down that way. And that's, you know, Alpha makes we try to slow teams down with a press a lot, and mm-hmm. not necessarily trying to get a lot of steals, but just trying to get back and help transition wise that way so i'm thinking maybe similar idea jam the rebound a little bit and yeah work the outlet and i think some you know a lot of times when you label kids like nail or get back or crash or whatever terminology you want to use kids are so programmed to just say what number they have when they come to the game and so when you when you label your starters like that you usually use very organized then as you get into your subs it's like does anybody know who the nail is does anybody know who the crash is (laughs) yeah like that's something that they need to get they, uh-huh. they have to become accustomed to as they get older. It's not just what number you have. Now you got to figure out where you're at in the press, where you're at in the press break, which defensive transition spot yeah. you're in. And that just takes a little bit of maturity and communication. And that can be tricky for some kids because, especially for younger kids, they're, they're so accustomed to just, okay, I got 14. That's it. You yeah. know, not, not thinking past that. So. Yeah. I think the the more athletic you are, the more – and it's just – I mean, it's, it, with a lot of aspects of basketball um, – the more athletic you are, the more aggressive you can be, obviously. And like with the with the group I'm coaching here with this, it's just just go crash. And if we don't get the rebound, we're just going to smother and and, and and try to slow it down that way. You know, um, we used to do we used to call it smother, deny, three back. You know, so we would say without thinking, we just say go crash. If you got an angle, go crash. And um, if you're the closest person to the ball, so if Siski gets the rebound and Kruger, you're the closest one there, you're just, okay, I'm just going to get up and mirror the basketball, you know, that type of thing. And then if I'm the next closest, so if I see Kruger smothering there and I'm guarding Connor, well, then I'm going to deny Connor the outlet. And if you're not one of those two kids, you get your took us back in the lane and we want to get, you know, smother it, deny it, and then the other three get back. And that worked when we had athletes, you know, when we, when we had high level athletes, just turn them loose and be aggressive and that type of thing. Uh, you know, my last few teams weren't as athletic. And so we had to do a little bit more of kind of what you were saying, you know, you're a crasher, you're a get back. And, um, and we weren't pressuring as much as well. So those, those are some of the things that, that, that I've done as well. What are some ways, what are some ways or some drills that you guys are, are teaching that transition? How you how are you implementing, like, let's start with you, Josh. What are some things that you're thinking about doing <clears throat> drill-wise, uh, philosophy-wise to implement this once you get into camp this week and, and practice in November and, on, and that type of thing? Well, I think I'm a big believer in doing a lot of live stuff. And mm-hmm. so um, 
we're going to probably just start out with running a half-court offense and playing it and having to transition back on defense. And then I've got good assistant coaches, so I'm just going to put an assistant coach in charge of making sure, hey, you're watching the nail every time, you're watching the get-back every time, and then you, you know, we want three kids crashing and we want to go after them a little bit. Um, so then someone else watching those those three kids and making sure they're crashing and holding them accountable that way and just going over it live a bunch. But then we do a lot of three-on-three full-court stuff back and forth and four-on-four uh-huh. four and, and we try to play fast and transition offensively, and so we're able to work on that and our transition D at the same time. And again, just putting assistance in charge of, hey, you're in charge of transition D, you're in charge of transition O, and and, and having them watch those specific things, I think has helped us at times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same kind of thing. We just do lots, you know, and everybody does the the drill where you you know you know you you send a couple kids to the baseline mm-hmm. and you know have to have to you know recover and where you play where you're outnumbered a little bit. Um, well, that's one of my three desert island drills. Like, yeah. if, if I was only forced to run three drills, that would be that would be one of the three. Yeah, and and you know, as we're as we're sitting here, all coaching club ball. Um, you know, the, the team I'm coaching is a, is a younger group and kind of a group made up of kids who are who are uh, you know, as I used to see, like you know, fighting to get varsity minutes this year. Uh-huh. Um, and and so, like we like in our game yesterday. I mean, just and. We don't have time to with club. We don't have time to necessarily practice all these things a little yeah. bit. I'm still, oh, you know, yeah. a couple weeks ago, I was still trying to learn their names. So, <laughs> um, you know, transition defense and things like that. It was just one of those things we haven't had a whole lot of time to really talk about with the club. But you know, like we didn't we didn't guard the basketball. You know, in in transition, probably three, four, five times yesterday. You know, and it's just something that we take for granted. But you know, it's just one of those what we see as simple things. It's got to be. It's got to be repped, and it's got uh-huh. to be um, plugged in. Hey, who's got ball? Who's got hole? Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, again, it, it's just if you think you know, if you think that they know, they might know, but they they still need the practice and the reps to be told those things. In the words of Tom Crable at last night's dinner, you have to coach every <laughs> step. Was that, was that he yeah. kept saying? Yeah. So. Um, I was going to say something. I forget what it was. Must not have been that big a deal. Uh, oh, well, you were saying, like, we do it so much, and you take it for granted, but you really have to rep the crap out of it, you know, so that you give up those assignments. And, you know, we've all been very successful, and when you go, when you get into those tough games, those district final games, and you, you know, you, or Metro semifinals, one or two goof-ups on something that you're going to do 40 to 60 times a game can be the difference between you moving on and you staying home. And, and that's so valuable. Um, as I set out the last couple of years, as one, you know, we need to work on defensive transition every day. As I watched other teams play, and I was just able to kind of remove myself physically from it, or, you know, the, the emotion of it, that, that was one thing that really stuck out to me. And you could tell the difference of the teams that really emphasized transition, defensive transition, and those that didn't. So one of, the, one of the things, too, that we always talk about is just, and again, it sounds like a simple thing, and it is, but just run fast <laughs> you know and a lot of it is just a mental thing like maybe the kid missed a shot and so you know they hang their head and kind of jog a couple of steps still thinking about the shot that they missed or mm-hmm. the pass that they made or something um and so we talk all the time about you know turning the page mm-hmm. and uh changing your mind you know from offense to defense okay you missed a shot big deal now don't give up one on you know just those those you know eight feet that that you could have sprinted could be the difference at the other end. Uh-huh. Um, and so to really change their mindset from, from one, from offense to defense or whatever, and just, I guess, uh-huh. really turn and sprint because it could make the difference. What do you guys tell your kids when, when shot goes up? What are you teaching them? Like shot goes up and you see that, let's say it's Papio and Millard West playing. So Millard West shoots it. Papio gets the board. What are you telling what are you telling your kids as, as soon as you see that? You know, how you teach that? What concepts are you throwing? What are you guys throwing out there when it comes to that? I have kind of a I have a weird one that's probably a little bit unorthodox at the youth level. Like we we teach positionless at OSA, mm-hmm. which everybody thinks of offensively positionless, which is true, obviously. But we want them to be able to guard all five spots as well. So when we when we are picking up full man, which we do a lot on misses, I just say find a body, which is kind of a it's kind of a weird thing, but I just say find a body. I want them to be able to guard any of the five spots, and uh-huh. that's a really easy way to slow down transition because whoever's closest to the outlet, that's who's guarding the outlet right away. Uh-huh. I don't want the kid from the other side of the court to have to run all the way across, all the way across and get ball stopped 
And obviously that's a youth thing that high school kids are a little bit, you know, they played more. But uh-huh. I, I yell find a body about 500 times a game, and people are uh-huh. like, what the hell is he talking about? But, <laughs> yeah, you'll hear me say that all the time. Is he, is he, is he on criminal minds or something like that? <laughs> yeah, you don't find the exactly. body. So. Yeah, a, a mismatch is better than no match. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for us, kind of what we said before, you know, we want we want to stop, the, get the ball, ball in the hole. Uh-huh. Get the ball, get the ball slowed up, get the ball stopped, and then get the hole, and then everyone else find a find yep. a body. Um, I know Josh talked about loading to the ball side and things like that, and that's that's not a detail that that we've. I guess I guess maybe we felt we weren't good enough at just getting the ball and the hole stop, covered, so we didn't want to advance it one more step. But um, those are the those are the two things we keep saying, and I'm and and kind of going on with Connor says like. You know, we have, you know, in a, in a pregame scout or whatever, you know, we have who we want to guard this kid, but, that you know, that rarely, rarely happens. You know, sure, if we have a dead ball, go find the kid you're supposed to guard. But in transition, yeah. find yeah. a body. Yeah. And if there's a matchup we need to switch later, we'll get it, we'll, we'll get it switched or something. But, um, yeah, just getting, just getting matched up and, again, c- coaching every single step of the way. Again, yesterday, I think, like I said it in my game five or six, ten times, there's five of them. There's five of us. Like, how hard can this be? Find uh-huh. a body. Uh-huh. Find somebody in a different color uniform and, and communicate to your teammates. Um, yeah. Well, it was very successful until the last two minutes when you <laughs> tried to snatch defeat out of the jaws yeah, of victory. That was, so. there was a lot of things going on there. <laughs> Siski, wrap us up on this one. No, I think one thing that maybe we've all kind of forgotten to talk about, maybe the most important thing is communication. I mean, just yeah. sprinting. Great Who point. is the person talking about hole and whatnot? And we talked about mismatches. And um, we kind of tell our kids, you're sprinting to at least half court, then you're turning and finding the ball right away from that mm-hmm. and figuring out where it's at. And then you're just talking. And like you guys have all said, matchups at that point don't matter. And in transition, matchups don't matter at all. You just sprint and, and talk and, and, and then get through it. And then if we have to switch at some point throughout the possession, we can. But mm-hmm. even at the high school level, I don't think there's a ton of teams that consistently can just take advantage of. Everyone's worried, I think, the most about a small guard and a post. And I yeah. think so many teams sometimes see that mismatch and end up turning it over because they're trying to hammer it inside yeah. instead yeah. of just letting it happen naturally in their offense. And, it, or what happens, and I know I was guilty of this, and I'll be guilty of it again. Coach sees the mismatch, so you're like, "Hey, run zero two niner here mm-hmm. to, to 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 exploit the post." And your kids are looking over, and they're and they're like, "Oh crap, what do I do?" And, and then next thing, like you said, turnover, they get ripped on the ball or something like that because your point guard's looking at you. What do you want me to run? You know. And again, I was guilty of it. I know it was. Yeah. You know. So um, but, yeah, that's a great point. Is you know. Yeah, a mismatch is better than no match at all. So, mm-hmm. so as now that we've in the last uh, fifteen minutes or so, we've solved all the world's problems in <laughs> defensive transition for everybody out there. How do we beat our great defensive transition with outstanding offensive transition? What are what are some things that you guys do to to get the ball out, to get it moving? Uh, your, your spacing. What's what's kind of some of the concepts that you guys uh, run there um, to get your groups going? Um, well, you know, for us in the past, it, it's been, um, we, you know, obviously we want to try to go in transition and we run, you know, we run lanes, we run wide and try to have a rim runner uh-huh. um, down the middle. But I think one thing that's been important for us is we've, we've really tried to communicate with, with kids about like what we allow them to do. Like if you get a rebound, do you have to outlet it to the point guard or are we going to let you just get the rebound and go? And, and dribble and and that's something over time you kind of have to earn uh-huh. you have to kind of prove to us you can you can handle that um and so we've had quite a few kids you know a lot of my teams we've had where four of the five kids on the floor if they got a rebound you know okay you, you're the one now uh-huh. everybody else fill lanes and figure it out and if there's somebody ahead of you you better get to the other side and uh-huh. and so we've been able to kind of you know transition that way and had kids that were able to handle the ball and make good decisions and things like that um and i've had other teams that are just the opposite you know where hey you get the rebound you you better you know no more than two dribbles and then you better be finding a point you know whatever but um so i think it's important to define roles for kids um and then you know every every transition drill we do in practice you know we're constantly harping touch a sideline touch a sideline you know get wide get wide Uh um and then just we don't have we don't have like a set break that we run other than just running um, running lanes and things and we we talk to the kids about different 
concepts of what you can do. Like if, if you got the rebound and you outletted it and you're trailing, like you can go come set a drag screen or go screen away or, uh-huh. you know, we, so we give them ideas of things to do, but um, we don't have set pattern or, or set even, even uh, like secondary breaks and stuff. We, I should say I, we do a little bit, but um, that's been for some of my teams that have been pretty experienced and things like that. Yeah. How about you, Josh? Yeah, so we're pretty similar. Um, I guess the big thing for us is we want to run our wings all the way to the corner. So we want them mm-hmm. going deep corner, and then we want a rim runner. Um, we were pretty lucky. You know, Liv Boudreau last year, or last four years or whatever, set school record in threes. So having her sitting in a corner and then Lindsey Ingerson running the middle for us was a thousand-point scorer. And, um, Made you look pretty smart. Yeah, the year before that, Josie Ryan as a point guard was a thousand-point scorer. So we looked really good in transition. <laughs> um, but it was more, obviously, really good players, but – we still are going to run kids to the corner and then have a rim runner, but we're not going to have a girl that's going to sit in the post now necessarily. Um, And that's okay. But what we will have probably, he talked about is I think we might have five kids that can get it and bring the ball up for us. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, when Josie was the point guard, it was kind of, we had some other kids that probably could have done it, but I wanted it in her hands. Sure. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of, you can have frozen pizza or you can order from a restaurant. It's probably going <laughs> to choose a restaurant. Well, uh, unless it's DiGiorno's. Right. And then you get a little bit of both. So, <laughs> DiGiorno's, you owe me 20 bucks yeah, for that plug, say, by that the way. Sponsor. So, um, so. But the thing we talk to our point guards about is like, we think the first pass into your offense is the hardest pass. And if we walk it up and you're dribbling, it's so hard to get into your offense. Trying to, So we want them to get it out of their hands before half court. And we always tell them if you do it and then you cut or something, you'll get it back. You know, you'll get a chance, but get that, get rid of that ball early. And it just, it puts a lot more pressure on the defense that way too, we think. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I'll give again, kind of the youth version of this answer. Um, but we have, we have a drill that, we just like these guys said we get all the way to the corner we have a rim runner we have what we call the outlet box but we actually place the kids at the youth level at, in those spots and so they literally do like a you know counterclockwise rotation they'll do one spot where they they're they're starting outside the three-point line they get all the way to the opposite corner the next time they become the outlet the next time they're the rim runner so they learn all five all five of those spots uh-huh. and so um you know we like i said we, we call it positionless and we really want positionless to not only mean half court offense we want to mean every single part of basketball from like third grade all the way up to in some cases even high school um we had a problem last week with my high school team you see it all the time at the youth level where our corner our corner kids would stop about free throw line extended which it seems like not that big of a difference but it's a huge difference because Uh the one like what we talk about the safety the get back kid on defense can guard three spots instead of having to choose whether they're going to get all the way back to the rim and guard the corner or whether they're going to get ball stopped or whether they're going to you know whatever whatever the case may be get the rim runner and so that 10 foot difference seems to be i mean it seems to for my team, got got us about eight more points yesterday than it did last weekend per game, just uh-huh. because we just and I would literally scream corner, 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 just to get the kids all the way there. And we, you know, hopefully you want a good shooter back there. But at the end of the day, AU doesn't have a scout on anybody, so they think everybody's a good shooter. You know? <laughs> I told it's funny, just off note, real quick. I told our kids, I said, I don't care if you're struggling or not. The other team has absolutely no clue. So the first time you're open, freaking fire it because they're gonna. The next time you get down there, then you catch the ball. If you if you shoot your first open shot, whether you make it or miss it, the coach is going to yell, shooter, 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 the rest of the game. So I tell kids, like, man, in the AU games, act like you've made your last 10 threes. Nobody, nobody, knows, nobody knows the difference. Yeah. Um, were, were you yelling as loudly as Blake was at the end of his first game I, yesterday? I don't even have the capability to sound as loud as Blake does. <laughs> no. Um, I wish I had that, that vocal power, but I don't. Yeah. All of you guys in in perfect world, you're sending rim runners, right? Yeah. Um, I I was watching Mike Neighbors functionally fast, and and I thought it was a great point, and it didn't really click into me. Was he tells his point guard, if you can't, I think he calls it the rabbit. Um, um, if you can't hit her by the time she gets to the free throw line, then don't throw it. Even if she's open below the free throw line, don't throw it because then she doesn't have enough room to work with. And I, and you know, that was like after how many years of running transition office, like, <laughs> God, that, that's makes sense, you know? So, um, and, and you're planning on doing a lot of five out next year is kind of what yep. you're thinking. And what about you, Mark? Um, we'll be, we'll be probably be a lot of four out one in. Okay. So you're going to keep your rim runner probably around the block area. Yeah. yeah. Yep. All right. Well, Sorry to, to the point of rim runner too, like you have to, sometimes when she's open, our point guard wants to throw it to her at half court. 
Yeah. And that can be a problem. Like, hey, you can't throw her the ball there. You know, she can't. You can't dribble it six times, but you know, and get a layup. Like, you need to wait till she gets to the free throw line, the three point area where she can one dribble go finish. Now pop like it. That. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't you can't put her in those bad spots as she travels or what or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so you kind of have to know who you're throwing you're throwing the ball to. Uh-huh. Um, some kids can, you know, some I've had some rim runners that could uh-huh. catch it and and dribble it and go finish, and others can't. And again, that's one of those things. A point guard, you know, we we talked about. Yeah, you have to know who you're throwing it to and, yeah. and what they're capable of and, and put them in a good position to, to yeah. be successful too. Yeah. So with your, cause we're going to go five out mm-hmm. and I think I know what I'm going to do with my rim runner, but what do you, if you're going to run a rim runner, what are you going to do if she doesn't get it on the rim run, but then go five out? What's So the that's something we still got. We're going to work with our rim runner a lot on cause she's probably never been a rim runner before. She's undersized, but she's really fast. Oh, yeah. We're putting our faster, fastest kid run in the middle, but uh-huh. she's not a great shooter. So we're just going to have her do that just to get her layups. But if the defense is back already, we're going to have her actually stop early and set an early ball screen. Okay. Um, and just try to, if their girl's already sagging in the paint, now there's a ball screen happening high, hopefully no one up there to hedge, and we can mm-hmm. turn the corner and get in the paint okay. quick. But if she goes all the way down and doesn't get it, then she's going to go short corner and then end up going out towards the corner at some point. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of my plan is send her right down the middle. We're going to call it the zipper. and just get to, like a zipper's right in the middle mm-hmm. and you're, you're going to zip up and down. So I don't want to co- copy Mike Neighbors completely. So <laughs> I wanted to sound a little bit smarter than that. But but if she doesn't get it, in theory, we want to bring it down the right side every time, kind of the Loyola Marymount Westhead stuff. And then if she doesn't get it, peel her out opposite of the ball mm-hmm. and bring our, you know, what a lot of people put like a two or a three in the corners, like we've been talking about, have her raise up to the wing and start with that kid out there in the corner, and then we and then we have our trailer come right in that top and kind of feel that feel that uh, that spot where like if you watch Milwaukee play, you know like Giannis is is up at that top area a lot, and that's kind of that's our plan. I don't know I don't know if we'll we'll get it done or not. So what are what are some things that you guys do to to emphasize your offensive transition philosophy? What are some things that you guys do to, like, again, in practice? Obviously, probably some of it piggybacks on your defensive transition stuff, but is there anything else? Yeah, we just try to do um, some sort of transition drills every day, kind of at the beginning of practice to get going and get loose and things like that. We kind of, is when we do our transition stuff. Um, And like I said earlier, you know, we just, whatever the drill is, and there's thousands of them out there, um, you know, we just preach, look, you know, get wide. And we tell our point guards, you know, if there's somebody ahead of you that's open, like the balls pop it. Yeah, you got to throw it ahead, throw it ahead, throw it ahead. And you know, we're, you know, we look, you know, we look ball side, we look rim runner, and we look opposite, um, mm-hmm. and just, you know, just repping those. Is that your you, you go ball side, rim runner, opposite? Yeah. Okay. All right. We want to throw it ahead, and then yeah, then just kind mm-hmm. of progression across the court. Okay. I do the other way. I go. I go opposite rim runner ball side because i think i feel like that's the easiest one that we can pop off because it's on that strong that i mean again it's six of one half a dozen of another so connor what are you guys doing yeah we put we put in rules to be honest with you uh, with the younger kids it's just a lot easier if you just tell them exactly what the expectations are as as opposed to just kind of letting them play we eventually let them play but when we first start teaching it we put in rules as you know like for instance we don't let the ball get dribbled past half court um, we start with two dribbles max per kid, no matter what position they're in, in transition. So, like, point guard, outlet box, whatever you want to call them, they get the ball, they get really one dribble, they throw it ahead. Kid in the wing catches it, they get one dribble towards the rim, they got to make a play. And in the more advanced teams, you can put in more strict rules, but we just make it really black and white for those kids at a young at a young age because otherwise, if you kind of just let them go, it's not like high school where you can let them go and they can kind of figure it out on their own. The, the youth kids have to really kind of be told what, what, you ex- what you expect from them. They almost would prefer that, I mm-hmm. think, so... Yeah, we put in three or four different rules. Sometimes it's one dribble, one times it's, sometimes it's two dribbles. Sometimes we just say you can't throw a pass half, or you can't dribble past half court. Uh, kind of just depends on the skill level of the team. But uh-huh. like I said, just making it as easy as possible for them and kind of dumbing it down as much as possible. And then as they get a little bit more advanced towards middle school, we kind of just let them go, and it becomes a habit if they've played in our program yeah. to get to where they need to be, and you know things like that. Uh, for for our coaches out there, like who have their you know the let's say they're in a smaller town, yeah, feeder program, yeah, like feeder program. You know, kind of what's the the ballpark area of you've seen your kids be able to in offensive transition they can handle about this at the fourth grade level I think the they fir- can I you think, know, what, I think what I've noticed is the throw ahead kid 
becomes capable of making that pass across the court at about sixth or seventh grade. I think before that, it's pretty tough to expect them to take one dribble and throw it across the court. Uh-huh. I mean, obviously, there's a couple of special kids that just mature early and can do that, but for the most part, that's I would say two, two to three dribbles even from the outlet box spot up until about sixth or seventh grade. Once they get to middle school, you can have your, you know, I think it's I think it's okay to to say you get one dribble out of the outlet box and that ball's got to get got to get pushed ahead if there's uh-huh. always somebody there for them. Okay. All right. Siski. Uh, one thing, you know, we do all that stuff, especially a lot of transition drills and pretty much go up and down every time. But one drill we started doing this year that I liked um, well, it was just working with our point guards, kind of reading where to throw it. And so we'd have two defenders back on the elbow. We'd have our center in the middle of the court, wings on each side, and our point guard would be back by the opposite elbow, you know. And then they had a chaser too, so there had been – it ended up being a four-on-four drill to make them finish it, but we'd flip a ball. We'd, as a coach, we'd tell the two back defenders, okay, you're going to take ball side wing and, and the middle girl. So then we flip it to the point guard. She gets one dribble, and she's got to read it, that those two went that way and make the diagonal pass. Uh-huh. But then the defense is chasing, so it makes those kids also have to go finish in transit. You know, It's one thing to kick it ahead and get to a three-on-two, but then you got to finish your three-on-two before the defense gets back. And I thought it helped our – you know, we, had a, we started a sophomore point guard, and I brought a junior one off the – bench that hadn't necessarily played a ton of varsity i thought it helped those two just being able to read and transition and see the see the girls that are back you know we all talked about having one or two kids back so we thought it helped them having to find those back girls and see where they're going and then make the right pass and try to make them do it quick and they messed up that times but yeah um i thought it helped and so just something we try to we're so big on getting that ball advanced that's kind of the biggest thing from up for us did you ever expand that into like five on five and bring it up to another level? Or did, was it always no, four on four? We didn't. We went. We just stuck with it at four on four because we do so much other five on five stuff. We do a ton of. We call it free throw transitions. The other team's shooting a free throw and we're getting oh, out yeah. and going. We have specific rules we want for that, and so we work on that a bunch. And then we're going up and down a couple of times, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we do different ways of doing five on five, but just for that breakdown, we kept it at four on four. So let's let's take all of this and put it together what are some different drills this this was not on the script but this popped into my head as you said that what are some other than just okay let's just roll it let's roll it out and go five on five up and down and let's correct it go what are some different ways uh whether it's whether it's game like or or drill like to, like you were saying free throw transition which that's something i do a, a ton of as well uh but what are some other concepts that that you guys use to yeah we're going five on five but we're shortening it up or we're putting a different emphasis on it so it's not just the kids are just scrimmaging i guess like almost like a pickup game you know what are what are some ways that you guys break it down when you're doing that five on five going up and down let's take the topic and put it all together in one here so um i don't it's not necessarily transition based but um we'll do we'll do a lot of little short um, just like time and score stuff make it mm-hmm. making it competitive um, just like you know putting you know a minute on the clock and saying okay the score is tied and, mm-hmm. and seeing or maybe you know, a minute and a half or two minutes whatever you want to do um, and and giving it a purpose you know okay what are we trying to do we, we have to get a good shot and then immediately once one team scores you know then the situation changes so now all right now we're behind. Now what do we have to do? And where we're ahead, what are we trying to do? And uh-huh. so trying to teach time of score, and even then it can turn into you know end of quarter situations and stuff like that. Um, so maybe I don't know if that is really answers. No, no, that's that's that's, that's asking, what I was but, talking about. Yeah. Um, so it's it's five on five, but it's not just roll the ball out there and play. You know, we uh-huh. have a purpose of what we're what we're trying to do, learning time and score. Um, and it also thing it, it forces is you know hey we we really have to get a good shot here. Uh-huh. Um, this is important. It's a big deal. It's tied or whatever. And so sometimes when you just play, and I think some kids will just you know kind of just jack stuff up uh-huh. um, because I'm open. Well, yeah. now you know it's there's you know we'll have consequences for the team that win or whatever. So yeah, um, and that's one thing I think it's really helped kind of understand hey what's a good shot? When is this a good shot? When's it not a good uh-huh. shot? Uh-huh. Stuff like that. Connor, I'm betting you have to do a lot of this stuff because yeah. you only get a couple practices a week yeah. at, at the most, so uh, I'd be really yeah, interested like to hear two, that. We have like two practices per week and then about seven games per weekend, so it's the exact opposite <laughs> of high school, literally. Uh-huh. Um, so we, you know, we try to make we try to make the most of our two 90 minute sessions, but we do we do we do a breakdown drill where 
we we actually break the floor in half and we call it it's just a three on three drill there's absolutely no scoring there's we just pretend the hoop doesn't even exist in this drill um but we have kids basically stacked in a press break um and then we have the inside we have the we have the defensive kids on the inside of them basically face guarding them and you know i think there's it's important to teach kids how to do different types of presses and I, it'll tie into transition in a second, but we just teach kids to get in a stance and really make it really, really hard to catch. For one of the drills, we call it a hard 55. Hard meaning like it's when we really need to go get the ball, go get a steal. And then we call it soft 55 when we're actually letting them catch it and just kind of making them slow it down. So like on a miss, one thing to slow down transition, as we all know, I mean, it's a lot easier. To, it's If you're getting beat in transition on a make, you got bigger problems. If you're, you know, on a miss, on a miss it's a little bit trickier, obviously. So we'll go a little soft. bit more acceptable. Exactly. Yeah, so we'll you know it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll go soft 55 on a miss, hard 55 on a make. I'll chuck a shot up. But maybe I'll make it. I'll maybe I'll miss it. Typically, I miss it because I'm not very good. But if I miss it, <laughs> well, we've our, noticed that. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if we miss it, then we have kids like I said jump to the nearest body, and we just make sure that they're in the right spot. We don't even we don't even play full court out of that. We just go to half court. Mm-hmm. If offense beats it to half court and we're out of position, then obviously that's. That's a bad rep if you're in position and they, you make them work to, to half court, whether you get the ball or not. That's not really the point. It's more about slowing down the offense. So we just break it down a little bit more like that, and we cut the floor in half and just kind of make it like a half court game, even though it's a transition drill. Mm-hmm. Okay. Josh? Yeah. Um, some of the, you know, we do a lot of situational stuff, try to end every practice, especially once you get going into games with situations. But we'll do, you know, Darren Hansen <coughs> at UNO does the drill kind of like. Elon scoring almost for them, but it'll be like 66-66 or something, and there's a minute on the clock, but the clock doesn't start until a team gets to 70. And so what I like about it a little bit is then it makes those kids on the fly recognize the situation. Okay, now maybe we're up three or down three or up four, you know, whereas sometimes if we do it and I just sit on the sideline and, okay, we're up two, we got to, you know, I don't think it's as game-like and um, Mm -hmm. my coaches give me a lot of hard time about not calling timeouts so I will late in the game but I want our kids to be able to see the situations happen live and and and, and adjust to it and then we can always talk about it after practice or mm-hmm. after the drill mm-hmm. one of the things kind of piggybacking on what Josh was saying and we kind of do the same thing there but one of the things I started doing um last it was, it was last year and I had a really kind of veteran veteran group last year but we would put them in two teams like that and let them play and then and then like and with the same thing with with time and score situations and um we wouldn't we wouldn't coach them mm-hmm. and us coaches would just stand on the side and let whatever happened happened uh-huh. and then when it was over then come together and talk okay you know you were up three with 45 seconds left and you you know you jacked a three or whatever like what what was going through your head why was that maybe not the best because i was open coach exactly. <laughs> i was open yeah. man yeah. they're um, not all going in but the next one is and, and it was really, it was really fun to kind of. The first time we did it, it was kind of a mess, um, and then the more we did it, you really started seeing like this is kind of a leadership thing too. You, know, you really oh. started seeing people step up and being more vocal um, and almost becoming like coaches on the floor. Um, and we were there to make sure you know what they were saying was <laughs> was was right. You know, and uh-huh. then the more we did it, um, it was really again kind of cool to see those kids. Um, kind of transition in into those uh-huh. roles and, and take charge and uh-huh. and, uh, and it was it was something that we'd struggled with in the past um so we kind of came up with this to uh-huh. help help with that stuff yeah a couple of things that that we've done you know we would do like the two minute scrimmage the four minute scrimmage you know uh that type of thing uh we, we i got this from uh i think it was don meyer uh the chuck daly scrimmage you know first team to two makes wins basically you know and you just encapsulate it so you know it's you know you're up one nothing and you got a chance to end it okay well what's the shot we want to get here to to, to end this right here and you play you know daily scrimmage for you know first team to two and you play best of three or something like that and it breaks it down into that or i saw a deal and again i've had a lot more time to look at this crap than you guys have the last couple of years but there was a guy i think it was Furman. Um, the military academy down in South Carolina. The guy said, best practice we've ever had was we literally showed up and we got the guys stretched out and blah, blah, blah. And then we said, we're going to scrimmage. And if you can go five consecutive possessions or something like that um, without a coach having to correct anything on the floor, you know, if they got to blow the whistle and Jimmy, you got to get into weak side help or, you know, Steph, you know, if, if, if we have perfection for five 
possessions in a row, we're done for the day. And and he said it took us about forty five minutes the first time we did it, and because I think he said they were kind of in a slump and it was kind of mid January, you know, in dog days type of stuff. He said, but it was the best forty five minutes of practice we've ever had because those guys knew, hey, if we just figure it out for five possess or five consecutive possessions of five on five getting up and down on both sides of the ball, we're, we're done. We're out of here. You know, I think I'd have to call my wife and tell her I wouldn't be home that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, it took, you know, it, it took all the, uh, he said it took all the, uh, the pressure off him as a coach because, you know, well, we're not staying here for two hours because I'm saying we got to do this drill and that drill and this drill. And he said, you know, we nitpicked a little bit to, to, to bring it out a little bit, but we wanted perfection. And, and the guy kept the guys mentally sharp and stuff. And he said it was, it was like the best 45 minutes that, that, that we've ever had in a practice session. And the guys, the guys, he said it, it, my guys loved it, you know. Well, just going back to like one of the things we said, we'll play to a score and things like that. And again, this is nothing that, that I came up with or whatever. And it's a little simple thing, but it's just something that, that, um, that we started doing and it, I think it's made a big difference too is so if we if we're playing and we're playing to we're playing to five or whatever however mm-hmm. whatever you want to play to once a team hits five they don't win until whoever made that basket has, has to, to make hit. a free throw yeah. yeah and if they don't make a free throw we'll usually give them the ball back okay now it's your you didn't you know you don't win but it's your ball check at half court here we go yeah. um just adding that that pressure element of a free throw at the yeah. end and Mm-hmm. And um, and the you know the kids get into it and they'll yell and scream and try to distract them and I'm you know fine with with all that and so that's one thing too and then the other thing too is like I talk to kids about this all the time so a kid will hit a basket to you know maybe potentially win the game and then they think they won I'm like okay now you got to make a free throw and then they, they'll drop the head <laughs> yeah like oh god and I'm like oh stop like sometimes I won't even let them it's the other team's ball. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to make that yeah. free throw. Yeah. So we're just going to move on. You know, just that body language of, <laughs> oh crap! Now I have yep. to make a free throw, and I try to eliminate that. And you should be like, good. Yep. And so we talk about mental focus, you know, right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's crazy. <clears throat> Some kids, you just see their head oh, and shoulders drop. You can tell who's going to make it. And who can, who's going to miss it before it even starts? Yeah. But speaking, this is a little bit off topic. You said the Furman coach was talking about the best 45 minutes of their practice. Have you guys ever had your kids play in a practice? We had a, we had a <laughs> practice at no. North one time where we had a bunch of our – and you have to have the right group, obviously. We had a good upperclassman-driven group that had been around for a long time. We actually had them playing the whole practice, and it was a, it was a time where we didn't – it was a night where we didn't have to, like, scout for anybody. Um, but it was, like, one of our – I mean, obviously they wanted to play a lot live and things like that, but I said – you know, we said deal was, like, 45 minutes at least have to be breakdown stuff. We're not just going to play for an hour and a half. So um, it was one of the best practices we've had, and I, it was pretty funny. That's when we were like, man, we got a shot this year because – you don't you don't have a practice that's planned like that by un, by kids that, with no leadership. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. a team with no leadership is not gonna not gonna have a successful practice. I don't think we said hardly anything that entire workout. It was pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah. I've was, never I've never let a group plan a practice, but I'll ask them all the time. Hey, what do you want to do tomorrow? What do yeah. you guys want to do? What do you think yeah. we have to do tomorrow? Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's obviously there's certain drills they always want to do, but. You know, sometimes I'll have them ask, like, hey, can yep. we do Can we do this? Can we do that? And I'll, sometimes I'll be surprised, like, oh, really? You okay, want to do yeah, that? Yep. Okay. Like, mm-hmm. and, it, and, it, and whether it's something we really need to work on or not, I, I mean, it, to me, it's more of them giving them the ownership exactly. of it. Yeah. Um, and, if, and if you don't have clearly defined leadership roles, I think for coaches, it'd be, like, for you, Siski, I know you have a couple of returning upperclassmen, but for a group that maybe you don't have defined leadership roles, if you would do that early in the year with an, un, an, un, you know, an unproven group, I mean that that can solve your leadership issues right there, mm-hmm. because those kids that take control of that practice are going to be the ones that okay, he's, you're the leaders at least off you know at least from a at least from a maturity standpoint if nothing else maybe not your best players but is it is it a way to help define your leaders you know if you gave them okay I'm going to plan an hour we're going to go an hour and a half and I'm you know you guys let me know what you want to do for. The, the, the first half hour or whatever. I mean, what do you think of that, Josh? I mean, is that, I mean, you, you're losing right. uh, uh, a significant percentage of your production from last year. Both you guys, yeah. to a certain extent. Uh, I mean, yeah, we've got, I think we'll have five seniors coming out. Um, 
one that started for two years, so those would be her third year starting, and one that came off the bench. And I mean, honestly, could have started for us, but was fine with her role. And then some others that'll be getting probably some of their first varsity minutes. But I think that's going to be something we're going to have to make sure we know kind of who our leaders are. And it doesn't have to be a senior, you know, and that's the other part of it. But I think this year, so many of our kids will lead by example, or at least that's the hope that, you know, yeah. we've got a bunch of kids that I think are going to play really, really hard um, and just lead by example in that way. And that I don't think there's going to have to hopefully be a lot of policing on some of those yeah, that's things um, from us. So then, but yeah, I mean, I think doing some of those other fun things, letting them plan a practice or whatnot. Another thing we've done, I got it from Gurles, I think. Um, I think the, 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 the man who said he had nothing to offer this yes, morning. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. the most the most girlless comment ever <laughs> he uh we did i think he calls it golden teammate and so it's a five on five scrimmage but each team and you can choose hey we're picking that kid on the other team you can say they get to pick a kid on the other team that's their golden teammate or or you get to pick your own and you don't necessarily tell the other side but the golden teammate whenever they score it's worth double the points and so it just makes you know a lot of times we would let them pick on their own team and not tell the defense who, who the oh, okay. teammate is, and so that's cool. Um, so you got it up on the scoreboard. Let's say you're playing to ten, right? So then and, they figured out and, after the first basket. Yeah, I was gonna say, times. you know, yeah. we're playing by ones and twos, but Mary hits a hits a three point shot, and and that's now they're up four. three nothing or, or, be four, four, or, then, or four or four or whatever. Yeah. yeah, okay, all right, yeah, that's a great idea. I and like so that. the defense figures it out after a little bit, but the first couple possessions they can run stuff for that kid and set a bunch of screen for you know, and I'm and I always tell them don't be so obvious that you're running a triple screen for the golden teammate or whatever. So everyone knows. But have a little uh, uh, subtleness to it. Yeah. Same thing if you're the defense. You know, don't just go if if we do it the other way. And okay, you get to pick who their golden teammate is without telling. Them. Don't just go full and I am the whole time. But at the same time, no, have eyes on her when she gets it on her and gets it in her hands and crowd her. And you know, it makes them just work on different situational stuff. But they like it just because it's different and fun. And yeah. So. That's a great idea. Uh, that's, that's a great idea. Thank you, so. Andy Gurles. Yep. Shout out. Yeah. Jeez, <laughs> he's you, definitely gonna be listening. Yes. Yes. 60 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to get the giggles there. You were you said something about Deal, and, and, and yeah. the first thing I thought of when we did a roundtable at the state tournament, he was talking about how he would just love to spend the day walking around Epley Airfield and just talking to random people coming in on, on planes. Serious? Yeah, yeah. And, and, That's awesome. And, and the, the thing was, we all know Deal. You could see him just hanging out mm-hmm. at Epley Airfield, just talking to people in Hudson News. Hey, well, where are you coming from? You yeah, know? and if you know if you know Coach Deal, funny. There's we all have like 500 funny deal stories, but the one time I I rode up with him to the USD camp. I think you guys were you guys up there at the USD yes. camp. Yeah, we, we we I me and him were in one van, and our other assistant was in another van. And about five minutes into the trip, our kids, you know, they're always you know corded up and whatever they're listening to or watching on their phones, but. He puts on like a World War One history podcast, and I'm like, I've never wanted my headphones to be in. So ever it was ever since then, he always it was a running joke. He's like, Hey, you're in my van. And I go, No, I'm not. I'm, I will drive. I don't care. So he's 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 like the most such a good history teacher. But it's funny that he's like more into history than anybody I've ever met. And you usually, I mean, I know you're a history teacher too. Are you yeah. a history teacher? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But, so, but 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 us two combined whole, are still not at his, oh, he's his on a level. Different yeah. level with that yeah. stuff. I'm like, he yeah. would go on rants about this. Like, at like right, five minutes for a game, I'm like, what are we talking about right now? Let's talk about well, the game. <laughs> the uh, the one we did at the state tournament. It was it was on March 5th. Oh, okay. And Eddie goes first thing he says. By the way, I feel the need to mention that. Today is the 250th anniversary of Crispus Atticus, Crispus Attucks getting killed at the oh Boston Massacre, God. the first casualty of the American Revolution, oh and and everybody's looking at him. They were like, "What planet did you come here from?" You know. Yeah, so, he's, he's Dave, we're we're player. we're sorry. I uh, as as you're no, listening to this, he yeah. would love the fact that we're giving him that compliment. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we got about 10 minutes left. I we're all on a little bit of a time schedule for the day. It's not. Uh, Kruger can go out and hit 36 holes and he'll be fine for tonight. So, um, but one thing, and it's kind of crazy, we haven't talked about this on any of my pods as I was kind of thinking of this. We have not talked about free throw shooting and free throw reps in practice. And it's, you know, a lot of times it's just like, well, let's just, okay, go shoot free throws. We're about halfway through practice. It seems like it's free throw time. You know, what are some things that you guys do in your workouts and your practices 
to emphasize the importance of free throw shooting. And, you know, uh, you know, Bruce Chubbick, he was on my pod last week and he talked about, you know, high school basketball is all about making layups and making free throws. Uh, but sometimes we, and I'm just as guilty of it as anybody. Sometimes we neglect the importance of making sure those reps are quality reps when it comes to our free throws. So what are some things that you guys do to, to make sure you get the reps, to make sure you're, you're putting the pressure on your kids to that, that, you know, that you're emphasizing the importance of it, so forth and so on. So, Siski, go ahead and get started. I think in live situations when you're scrimmaging, you make sure you shoot them. You know, I think at times coaches at time want to keep going with whatever they're working on, but make them shoot them if you're keeping score for things. Um, and then we got a drill from Wayne State, you know, and we probably – we honestly – I've been lucky. I've had really good shooters. We shoot a bunch of threes in practice, but we don't shoot, spend a lot of time shooting free throws. But one drill we consistently do, it's uh, we call Wayne State free throws. We put five minutes on the clock, and there's six hoops. Everyone has their own basketball, and they just go to whatever hoop has the least amount of people, and they've got to make two in a row. So if they shoot, if they make it, they get another one, make it, they get it made two in a row, so they have to yell out one, you know, however many times they've done that. If they ever miss, they automatically have to go to a different hoop, and so they're just kind of running around and keeping track of score, and we try to reward the winners or, you know, have the losers do some push-ups or something, you Mm -hmm. know. But we, we, I've kind of at times taken the thought process of not talking about free throws to our kid as much as anything and just, yeah. Not not bringing it up if we were really bad on the free throw line. Don't go yeah. in the locker room, yeah. and you know, no kid ever goes up there and wants to miss a free throw. So I feel like you saying it just puts more pressure on. So we just yep. try not to talk about free throws, good or bad at all. It's kind of like a uh-huh. jinx or something. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. It's kind of a it's kind of a touchy thing. Like you don't want to when it's going really well, you don't want to jinx it and make it go bad. And if you're really bad at it, like you don't want to you don't want to make kids confidence get you know even even lower and so it's kind of that unspoken thing like we practice them and things like that but um and uh one of oftentimes i'll uh you know i'll tell our kids in practice like hey our free throw percentage for the season you know it it, from in in the last week and a half it's gone up five six percent like this is good you know good job you know I'll, Mm -hmm. i'll tell them those i'll tell them those things um we do we do one drill a lot where we just divide up at the basket so you have three or four kids at a basket and then we'll just go around and and the kid will they just shoot one at a time so this isn't a huge rep free throw drill it's more kind of pressure or whatever i guess but um so you know basket number one will shoot and and then basket two will shoot and then the goal is the goal is to make seven in a row uh-huh. um and you know then you get to six and and it's kind of that same thing, kids' body language, because pretty soon they'll figure it out. Like, you know, <laughs> oh crap, I'm gonna yeah. be number seven, uh-huh. and uh, you know, and, and I can't even like we'll just put different times on it. Like, hey, we have to do that. We have to get this done in six minutes. Uh-huh. Um, and and then if we don't, well, we never want to end without, you know, without getting it. Uh-huh. Um, and so there's been some times where it's like, <laughs> hey, let's, uh, <laughs> come on, let's wrap this up here, but. Um, that's kind of a, a one of the little things we do and there's there's another one we'll do where um it's like if you remember when uh um the i think it was the other podcast you were talking about um <laughs> what's his name uh oliver chris uh, oliver oliver chris oliver chris oliver oh, uh, basketball chris? decision training yeah, okay yeah. all right basketball. he was right. at the he was at the metro coaches clinic mm-hmm. um, okay. a couple uh, last last fall okay. um and uh he had one where it was like apples in a basket or something, you know. And if every time, every time you a person at your basket missed, it puts another apple in the basket. And then when it gets to seven, um, or it's not, I can't even. Remember oh, the now. on the line, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll so play that one. If you miss yeah. and, and two people, there was two apples in the basket, and you miss, you get those. And then the yeah. first person to acquire seven, um, then they lose, and they have They're a consequence. Yeah. Just different, different things like that. But going even back before that. What I used to always talk about kids with is just to, you know, like have a have a routine, uh-huh. um, a mental routine, and something you do every time, um, and just again, just try to instill confidence in kids. I guess is my big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And going off of that, I think if you're having a routine is obviously super important. But if a kid is struggling from the line, you know it's a mental block. Don't be afraid to change your routine. Kids get in the same routine; they do the same routine like their entire career. Yeah, and if you're a 55% free throw, you're like maybe change it. I don't yeah. know, you know, yeah. just even if it's just mental, like 
It's probably not going to change the way you shoot free throws, but it's going to change the way you're thinking when you're up there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's just, it's repetition. If, you, if you've seen yourself miss 45% of your free throws throughout your life, <laughs> you're going to have a negative feeling you're up there anyway, so you might as well change something up. But, yeah. you know, at the youth level, we just don't, I hate to say this, but there's just not enough time to really spend a ton of time shooting free throws. Like, we work with kids one-on-one, yeah. and we work with them when they first get out on the practice floor, as opposed to, like, having a social session with their friends. I'll take the, a couple kids who are struggling and just kind of go through their routine with them a little bit or work with a couple fundamental-based things with them. But we really just don't have a ton of time to, like, spend whatever, seven minutes of our practice because we just don't we don't have that yeah. much practice time to begin with at the, at the club level. Yeah, yeah. So I just tell them it's kind of on I – mean, you got to find time on your own to really work on that. And if you have any – you know, if you have stuff that you want to work on with us, we, we'll do it. But yeah. we don't really spend a lot of team, team time doing that. The, the only thing I've ever really said <clears> – <throat> consistently about my free throw philosophy like if i see a kid doing something i'm kind of like do what you want to do you know do what you're comfortable with when when i was in high school i literally it was one dribble with my left hand get it in my shot pocket let it fly you know but the, the, the one thing that that i've told kids is don't i don't like it when they spin the ball in their hands or do that because at one point, if you're playing five on five, you don't stop and then spin the ball in your hands and then shoot yeah. it when you're when you're playing. So that's that's the only thing I ever do. Whatever you want to do, just don't do the do that. You know, and I've never had anybody never do that, that. that doing the Adrian Dantley. You know, <laughs> you know, making yeah. love to the basketball like that type of thing he used to do. Um, we yeah. had we had a coach one time. There there was a coach, um, and I won't say who it is. He made every player in his program shoot free throws the exact same way there there was no comfort and 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 here's the thing they weren't allowed to dribble they had to just literally step up to the nail and get and boom and and do that and i was like that's that's, and it was just weird you know i'd I'd never seen that before so just a couple things there and then one of the drills that we do that i really like is we call it speed we call it speed free throws and um, we'll put usually we put three minutes on the clock, and we line you know we got six six most high school gyms have six rims, and and so we we go um, okay we're we're gonna run the clock for three minutes, you shoot a free throw, make or miss, keep track of your makes and misses, and go get your rebound and you dribble with your weak hand to the other end so. Side hoops going this way, side hoops going this way, main hoops going this way. Basically, we got three groups that are interchanging, and we go for three minutes, and we'll tell our, our, you know, our kids, okay, we have to be at X percentage by it, at the end of three minutes, and if we don't have it, we got to do it again. Um, and and that way, it's it's getting their blood yeah. moving. There's there's some flow with it, yeah. but they're getting reps. Now we tell them speed dribble down, but once you get to the free throw line, okay, slow it down. Take, get into your routine, oh, you know, I like that one. take take 10 normal reps of your free throws rather than 14 rushing them because you feel like you need to rush for No, that's not what it's about. We want you to go, you know, it's the old wooden thing, be quick but don't hurry type of a thing because you got to step up to the line and knock it down. <clears throat> and that's been a pretty good drill for us that has, that has helped. We get reps, but it puts pressure on them, we, we, you know. And, again, some of it is they're on the honor system. It's it's not like we're a Division One and we got managers recording everybody's as they're doing it. It's a little bit of the honor system. But they're usually pretty honest with it, and and that's that's been a good drill for us. So Yeah, we'll, we'll do something, too, where, we're, we're, you know, we just put all the kids at the basket and, and like you are saying, an honor system, and they have to keep track. And then we'll have, you know, we'll, we'll just shoot for five minutes or whatever and, and total it up and, say hey like it has to be and you you know you can kind of pick the percentage depending on your team um i think for us last couple years i think we settled on like it was like 76 percent just kind of random number but um so after we totaled up all the baskets you know if it wasn't about 76 or above you know we're on you know we're on the line or whatever Uh um but when i was in high school my my high school coach at Westside, he's it's doc shenzel who's the ad prep now but he was a very statistic based guy really smart dude but he um he had us record stats every day he actually had us report to him every single day just for his own good because if you had a kid off the bench that he needs to make a free throw down you know in a pressure situation obviously it's different making free throws of practice than it is in a game but he knew exactly down to the t who who was shooting a good percentage throughout the year and who wasn't uh-huh. and obviously practice percentage is different than game percentage but i think he just used it as a motivational tool but also used it for his own good uh-huh. little dean smith disciple 
he he's yeah <laughs> he was very very uh, guy that was very by the numbers very you know stat based but he was he was good guy good coach well awesome anything else guys I think we're good we're Thanks good us, yeah. yeah no this is this is great we're literally right <laughs> at an hour right now so like I said we got I know we got games coming up here and we got to grab a bite to eat and that type of thing but. Uh, uh, thanks so much for coming in. You know, yeah. Kruger doesn't have a choice. He's stuck yeah. in the room with me for three <laughs> days. So, uh, but Siski, thanks for coming in and yep. being a last minute replacement here. Um, uh, Connor, thanks for coming in. Yep. Thank you. Um, obviously if you're listening here, uh, to round table number four on a pen and a napkin, you're on iTunes or SoundCloud, like rate, review, subscribe, uh, get the word out to other folks. Uh, Give us a five-star review. That helps us move up in the rankings. If you're uh, if you're a Twitter person, follow us at a pen and a napkin on Twitter. Try to get daily stuff out there. The last couple of weeks, I haven't done a very good job with that stuff. Been a little preoccupied with camps and and AAU and that type of thing. But I'm going to do a better job with that. And then, of course, if you have any uh, suggestions, comments, questions, ideas, email us at a pen and a napkin at gmail. Com. Again, thanks a ton to Josh Shisky from Papillion La Vista High School, Mark Kruger from Millard West High School, and Connor O'Neill from the Omaha Sports Academy Club Program. Coaches, as always, let's pray for peace, let's stay safe, and let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time. <laughs>